everybody, welcome back to Game Misconduct. On this episode, we connect with Megan Chaka, entrepreneur, data scientist, and co-founder and CEO of the analytics company Stathletes. Megan gives us the lowdown on how her companies filled a growing need in the sport. So, you know, as sport and especially hockey gets more competitive, there is only more and more need to have better decision-making processes, have people in place that understand how to you know, utilize data in the best ways, and then can make those decisions backed on more scientific methods than just, I think this. Why diversity in industries like tech and hockey has become a real passion. The numbers just show that it's people that graduate from university. It's not the same representation when you get into these companies. And it's even worse when you get into any sort of executive or C-suite level and what it's like to balance femininity and being taken seriously in a position of power. I think the more comfortable you just are with what you do, what you wear, you just try to carry yourself with a manner that you're, you're proud of yourself. Plus, we take a look at the VGK's recent win streak and answer your social media questions. What would this show be without Alyssa and myself making a fool of ourselves at least once? Maybe twice. Um, <laughs> who's, who's coming to your house right now, Alyssa? All that and more on Game Misconduct. Back. Ooh. <laughs> As I go to say, back with another episode this week, I almost just completely knocked over my recording device. So how's your day going, Alyssa? That's how I'm starting this off. I'm unfortunately on the same wavelength as you today, really? Stormy. I, um, so twice a week, at least, I love to get flower child for lunch when I'm in the office and it's super close. I just, I, I love flower child and every day I've seen this first. Yes. And I like force it upon everyone. I'm like, let's get flower child. So Gary Lawless every day I'm in the office and I bring lunch and I get back to my desk. He's like, oh, geez, you couldn't couldn't offer to get me something, too. And just berates me for not bringing him lunch. And today I got Flower Child and brought it back to my desk. And Gary's just berating me. And I'm like, Gary, you're a grown man. I am not in charge of your lunch. <laughs> if you're hungry, get your, you can ask and I will gladly bring you something back. But I'm not responsible for you eating lunch and as I'm finally just giving it back to him my entire lunch falls on me no. it slides off my desk falls all over my black jeans and the floor and I had not taken a single bite yet and Gary just starts chanting K-A-R-M-A and just laughing. Like he literally is like standing up, pumping his arms that I spilled my entire lunch on What me. a jerk. That's so amazing. That literally happened like as like, I'd say 20 minutes before we're recording. So that's Was any of it salvageable? I would say like a quarter cup of like the three cups of lunch. So no. So I had to get a pop tart, which I know you is exciting for you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the perfect meal. That's the dream meal. If we're being honest, <laughs> but no, I can actually relate to this so hard right now because yesterday during the charity night broadcast, Gordon Weigers was so kind. He also does social media with Alyssa. was so kind as to get me a venti vanilla sweet cream cold brew for me to have. So that'd be nice and energized throughout the broadcast. And I set it behind all of the items on the desk um, that I had prepared for all of the things that are in the charity night bag and the VGK yearbook tipped over and knocked the entire venti iced coffee on charity night over bag? the ground so it was it didn't get on the bag oh. it knocked backwards but all over me all over the ground all over my phone and it's two minutes from puck drop oh no mortifying but somehow Thank you, everybody, for watching and donating or purchasing a charity bag because by the time the broadcast was said and done, we ended up raising upwards of a quarter million dollars. So it was a really, really successful night. All of that money goes to the VGK Foundation, back into the community. So grateful for all of that. Um, a number of those proceeds going to Project 150, which provides free services for displaced, disadvantaged, and homeless high school students in Nevada, as well as Ryan Reeves, the ball hockey ring that he's building at the James Boys and Girls Club in Southern Nevada. So just really, really uh, a lot of good was done despite my coffee mishap. Thank goodness 
Our guest today has it so much more together than we do. She, if you look up put together in the dictionary, <laughs> Megan Cheka shows up. <laughs> That's the one. Megan Cheka, she's a co-founder and CEO of Stathletes. It's a performance data and analytics company, uh, primarily dealing in hockey. Their clients are NHL teams, NWHL, uh, individual athletes, scouts, agents. And the company also provided services for the CBC during the 2018 Winter Olympics. So she's the real deal. She's the real deal. And and in addition to that, she also is such a vocal advocate for women in sports, women in tech, female athletes. She is freaking awesome. I'm so excited to talk to her. Um, I have admired her from afar, and this is actually my first time meeting her, so I am very excited to talk to her. Before we get into the interview, just a quick word from one of our partners. Fans can order the Golden Knights official watch party menu, the $50 feast from Buffalo Wild Wings, Features mozzarella sticks, chips and queso, two all-American cheeseburgers, fries, 20 boneless wings. It's not valid with any other offers and only good for dining or pickup. It's available for a limited time in all Southern Nevada, B-dubs, and Stormy. That is all of our favorite things. I am sold. That sounds like the perfect evening for me. Especially <laughs> after my lunch ended up uh, on my lap. So <laughs> let's hear from Megan now. You are talking to two people who have like elementary version knowledge of math, like use our fingers to count. <laughs> and so can you explain to us what Stathletes does and, and just an elementary level for people who are like Stormy and I? <laughs> so kind of like high level, I would say is, you know, we're an analytics company. Uh, we work in 22 leagues worldwide kind of trying to simplify it is, you know, we're looking at data, right? So we're collecting data on anything that happens within a hockey game. So anytime you see player movement, uh, an event type, so a pass, we collect data on that and all sorts of um, different areas around that. So, you know, traditionally a box score in the NHL, you'll see hits, you'll see giveaways, takeaways, face-offs, uh, goals and assists but there's so much more of the game. So we capture a lot more of that. So, you know, you don't have to be a connoisseur of math to, to like that as well, right? And understand more about your favorite players that may not score every game, but still like contribute and are really important in hockey. And I mean, obviously those analytics are super high level. How did you realize, I guess, that there was a need for that in the sport? Uh, I don't think there was like a watershed moment for me. I had always been very interested in, you know, the like math and science stats. I took a lot of that in university as well. I always encourage people to take more like technical type courses and, and encourage them to be, you know, open to like STEM and sports uh, intersection, because I think there's a lot that is being done currently and, you know, a lot more gaps that can be fulfilled. So I actually worked in like fortune 500 companies, analytics. I worked for our government as well and in finance. Um, so I was very used to like handling, you know, big data sets and understood how that worked in like the corporate world and in business um, and was very involved in playing all sorts of sports. So I loved baseball, basketball growing up as well. Uh, and there's a lot of data in it, right? There's a lot of stats, uh, especially you look at like an MLB box score and people are charting uh, different areas of the game all the time. So it's just like, why not hockey? You know, what's kind of preventing that? And you know, there's some areas that obviously are more challenging, but for sure it was ripe for, for disruption in the data space. So it was just a matter of taking, you know, my background in different subjects and applying it to a sport that, you know, historically has been more conservative and a bit slow moving and trying to figure out how to fill those gaps. And you brought up baseball, and I, in my opinion, I'm sure you would agree that they're kind of the leader in stats and analytics, and they've really been on the forefront of that movement. So did you kind of see that and say, this is something that's lacking in hockey, I can do this? Or was there a moment where you kind of realized, hey, this is something that the sport is missing. I have a knowledge of the sport. I have a knowledge of stats. Let's combine them. I think everyone knows like the money ball story. That's sort of, you know, the marquee, like Billy Bean type, uh, you know, how he turned around the Oakland A's or used analytics in a very, you know, very aggressive way um, when he had a, a very small salary compared to like big teams in the MLB. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, you have to compete and try to be efficient and try to be better. And that's what a lot of business is about now. So I just saw the gap in, you know, where big businesses run. Um, for example, I was working for a company at the time that was like a $37 billion top line company. So like massive organizations that depend on data to make really critical decisions. So, you know, as sport and especially hockey gets more competitive, there is only more and more need to have better decision-making processes, have people in place that understand how to, you know, utilize data in the best ways, do modeling, and then can make those decisions backed on, you know, more scientific methods than just, I think this, because for example, like, you know, we work in so many leagues and collect so much data, even for the draft, you know, there's so many players on the board and hockey is such an international game. So sure, a scout can be amazing, but they may only see like five games of a player and right. they may not see any of a player in like Russia, let's say in the MHL. So, you know, to get an understanding of how people play, uh, data plays a very integral role, especially now during COVID. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't just like a process that we like jumped right into. It was sort of a push and pull of like what the industry needed, where it was going. And now to be able to, you know, sort of even push it further is really exciting. And you referenced earlier, hockey is obviously a little bit more traditional of the sports and maybe a little bit slower to to adapt. So when you launched your company, how were those conversations like? Did you have some difficulty explaining to hockey teams why this data is important or were a lot of teams receptive? I'm interested in how those conversations went for you. Yes and no. I mean, I think whenever you're kind of disrupting an industry in any way, there's going to be pushback. And, you know, even now there are some like old school mindsets. There aren't any business. It's just a a nature of, you know, a blend of different age groups and different, you know, capacities to use technology. Right. Some people love it and they thrive with it. Other people are used to what they've been doing for 20, 30 years. And that's fine, too. So part of that sometimes is, you know, weaving technology with their processes right now and how they're working and how to make them more efficient. So it's not necessarily like saying I know more about hockey than someone who's been GM or the league for 30, 40, even 50 years in some cases. It's how can I make your job better? How can I make your decisions easier? How can we make you more efficient? Um, So I think when you turn the conversation that way, you don't get a lot of no's, right? You get a lot of brainstorming about what the future looks like and how they can work better and smarter. So it's a tool for them. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's broader than a tool. I think people like try to pinpoint it as a tool because it makes them feel a bit easier. Like, oh, I just didn't (laughs) use my tool today. It like data underlines like every business decision in most cases in major industries, right? So I think, you know, you're always going to see it crop up in terms of any sort of major, um, whether it's a trade or a, you know, draft prospect, whether it's you're playing someone tonight. I don't think there's an element of the game that's untouched, unfortunately, now for some people. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, being able to communicate and use it effectively, because I think both data and technology can be overwhelming for some people. Well, and I'm a perfect example of that, honestly. And when off the top, Alyssa was like, we have this rudimentary like ability when it comes to math. All I was thinking was, I feel terrible because I totally fit into that stereotype as, you know, the girl that's not good at math. Has that ever been like an issue for you that other people, when you are in those meetings, have that maybe unfair stereotype before you really even get a chance to start speaking? I will say, like, I for sure had meetings where people kind of have laughed because they didn't put, you know, Megan on the schedule. They didn't expect to see a woman in their room. Uh, That's taken some people a bit aback. But, you know, I try to take that as a positive that, okay, now they've seen me in a room. So the next woman that walks in won't feel like that. I've always really loved math. Like, I I sort of thrive in, in those type of courses. So, I think once you start talking with people, they know the level that you're at. And I respect people too. I mean, there's a lot of people now with like PhDs and like math, you know, physics, engineering, all sorts of different areas that are very subject matter experts. So I know like where I kind of cap out and where I need to like bring in help. And we have, you know, a hundred employees that have all sorts of different backgrounds and, you know, are great at so many things that I just don't really have the capacity nor like the interest to do. Um, So I think just like, you know, meeting people where they are and what what their job title is. Like if you're a head scout, you don't have to be a computer vision engineer, right? It's like, it's just, you know, sometimes we put these ideas on people, like they should understand absolutely everything, but they just have to understand how to do their job better and where the technology or the data is going and what that means for them. So 
I feel like, you know, to explain things simply is sometimes much harder than explaining things at a very, you know, uh, complex level in many cases. So it's, it's a challenge to communicate effectively. You know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast is because you're a woman in hockey, but also a woman in the tech industry. And those are two really male dominated fields. You're really breaking barriers in multiple industries. And I know you're very outspoken about, you know, gender equality and getting women a seat at the table, which is amazing being in the position that you're in. So is that something that's just always been important to you? Or was is there times where you kind of look around and realize, OK, I'm the only woman in the room and I can do something to change that because of the position that I've earned. I think so. And I think there was a push even in like finance, which I was in before and tech, obviously to have, you know, more women represented and diversity in general, right? Not just white women, you know, every um, underrepresented group, I think, you know, has, has different issues in tech. So for example, of, you know, all the funding that goes out um, in the tech industry, only 2% goes to women founders. And I think it's like 0.6% goes to black women founders. So there's huge gaps uh, and it, it just gets worse too, in terms of BIPOC or LGBTQ plus. Some of these groups for sure have a lot of barriers that people are trying to break down through different programs and, you know, different ways to to recruit and look at the industries different because the numbers just show that it's people that graduate from university. It's not the same representation when you get into these companies. And it's even worse when you get into any sort of executive or C-suite level. So I always say like people think it's so hard to work in hockey. And it's like, do you think finance and other places where there's lots of money, it's easier, right? <laughs> I mean, people really try to keep out, you know, and protect their jobs. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I see definitely transformation and I know I can't do it all either, right? I mean, a lot of the power rests within men that have like these key decision-making roles. Um, but with that said, I think, you know, every day, you know, you do the best you can and, you know, do any sort of actions to change uh, the dynamics. And, you know, we do try to actively recruit in different ways and, and um, carry that on. But yeah, there's a lot of research at, you know, even how women are questioned in business, very different than men. Um, so uh, I'm very hyper aware of it now, I think, mm -hmm. which is which is a good thing. But it's also frustrating when you are because you see the same patterns happening over and over again. I, I know, obviously, the majority of your work in hockey is on the men's side of things, but you did get involved with um, the NWHL. Obviously, you do do things for women's hockey. I mean, and you can tell you're so passionate about it. Is that a big reason why you wanted to extend into that space? Yeah, so we've actually been doing women's hockey for about eight years. And every year I have sort of a threshold of games that I want to cover. Uh, and even if like I, I don't get a sense, it's just sort of a bar that I want to pass because I think it's, you know, not just giving back to the community, but these are like outstanding athletes, right? They're like Olympic athletes. Yeah. They are, you know, the best at their game. They train very hard. You know, you look at Team Canada, Team USA, huge rivals. I have a ton of respect for, for everyone in the programs in terms of like the type of athletes they are. So I think, you know, women's sports in general has been really underserved. And there's sort of this renaissance or this, you know, awakening, I think, during COVID that, you know, people watch, people are demanding it. Like 40, 50% of hockey fans are women, right? Why don't we want to watch women's hockey? Of course we do, right? It's, yeah. Um, so putting them on air, putting them on NBC, uh, giving them more media attention is just allowing them to become more household names, get sponsorships, kind of the chicken and the egg stuff. So I just feel like if I can do any part of that, um, I'm very pleased to. I think it's almost four years ago now. I got my first paid contract for women's hockey. So I worked at the Olympics, did the full women's game. My pitch was like the men, uh, the NHL wasn't going to the Olympics. So I said, okay, this is the time to like really showcase the yeah. women. And so finally, when I got to the end of the deal, they were like, but what about the men? And I was like, no one has ever said that before. You're the first person. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I guess I'll do them. <laughs> but yeah, it was awesome. So I, I, I really like respect. I talked to a lot, as many women athletes as I can too, about, you know, the gaps that they see and like how they'd like to you know, see their field progress and what I can do as well. And it's funny just listening to you talk that you, you know, acknowledge some of the challenges that you've had and how you're super aware of maybe being treated differently because of your woman. I feel like you speak on that, like, you know, it's just something that in a way you've gotten used to 
overcoming. And I find that really cool because I know a lot of women will be deterred by that and just say, okay, this isn't isn't worth it. This isn't worth the battle. So how have you kind of turned those situations into something that fuels you to make change and to speak out against it and kind of find that within yourself instead of just saying, okay, this is enough. (laughs) This is, I'm sick of fighting this battle, but instead, hey, no, this is, you know, I want to take this opportunity to make a change instead. Yeah. I mean, I try to just like have a different mindset. I think I don't really, honestly, until I'm on podcasts and such, I don't really think about it that much day to day. Right. It's just not really within my mindset. I'm still, you know, everything I did from my high school to university to internships to everything, I've always just had a positive mindset. Uh, if you do great work, if you under promise over deliver, your uh, continual learner, your team player, people are going to want you, right? It's not like there's a there's just such an overabundance of overachievers. So I've always tried to be, you know, an asset to anywhere that I've been and really at any level or any role, do the best that I can. And I, you know, try to say that to women or to anyone as well, right? When you go into your first job, you know, how do you get to like different levels? And and it really is about, you know, honing your skills, getting your reps, getting good at different areas. So I just think being candid about that there are roadblocks or there are bad days, I think is fair because sometimes it's easy. Um, I think when you are successful to say, yeah, it was, you know, you kind of have hindsight bias. You, you forget recency bias. You forget some of the hard times. Yeah. Um, so I'll have like, you know, women in high school, like saying they're having a really hard time or, you know, people will reach out to me and, and I just want them to know too, that it's okay. Like it happens at every level. I see, you know, CEOs of huge companies have breakdowns, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty normal. It's, you know, more pressure, more money, uh, nothing gets easier. You just get better uh, and you get better at dealing with it too. I love the way you put that because I think that's so true in just about every walk of life that you always think, oh, when I get that next opportunity or that big break, it's going to get easier. But it's almost like you have to work harder to to keep it and to continue to get better. That's just the start, right? Yep. <laughs> when you get it, it's just then it's game on that. Then you're executing. And I think execution is what, you know, it differentiates the the really winners, right, in terms of of who kind of rises to the top. So I always say to people, it's like great to celebrate everyone you get, but know when you're celebrating that there's a lot of work to come. Well, I know that you did reference kind of your steps a little bit and the internships in high school. And I'd like to know a little bit more about your path, honestly, and growing up in Toronto, a hotbed of sports. Like how did your love of sports and athletics cultivate when you were younger and then ultimately kind of cross that path with your love of tech and analytics and science and finance, all these things coming together? Yeah. And for me too, like I do get a lot of people reach out to me because their dream is like to work in the NHL or to be a GM. And for, for me, I just saw the path as like very fluid. I never really held myself to, I need to be this. I mean, I had some like aspirations in high school. I always loved like sciences. So of course I wanted to be a doctor and, you know, my first year I was like, I'm going to be in health science. And I did an internship or like a, a rotation at the ER and I hated blood. And that was, the, <laughs> it was just like not for me, you know, like I'm smart, but I, I can't deal with this. So, yeah. So I tell, you know, students or anyone, you know, it's, it's not like you have to have these concrete goals where if you're not at, you know, not with an NHL team at 25, you're, you know, a failure. It's for me. Um, yeah, I actually grew up like an hour south of Toronto, a ton of uh, in the Niagara region. So a lot of uh, NHL players have come from our region, you know, hockey, lacrosse, um, you know, every like my family, obviously very involved in hockey, too. So just grew up in the game completely. Uh, but also I'm really tall. So I played basketball. Like I'm six one. So I played basketball, volleyball, baseball, uh, rowing. I was very competitive. I'm yeah, like overly competitive. I probably <laughs> tried to learn to dial that back. But uh, it's something that I think is good in business. You know, it's they always say like women who played sports when they were younger are, are very good executives. So I kind of take that as a bit of a badge of honor too. Um, and, but I like, didn't really think I'd make a career out of it just because 
as I said, you know, there's a lot of big corporations that pay really well that have a lot, a lot of bandwidth to take on people. So I thought I was going to be in finance, um, you know, and I graduated in 2008 with a with a finance degree. So probably the worst time in the entire universe. To, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the stock where everything crashed, you know, Lehman Brothers went under. It's just like it's sort of a blessing in disguise for me that it was just the timing was not right. So. Um, so I just, you know, recalibrated. I always like tried to start different companies and like pitch people things. I had a healthy baby bottle company, uh, that I never brought to fruition, but I did some pitches, uh, kind of made all my mistakes and like silly things. And then, yeah, we thought about data in sports and, and kind of rolled that up Won a few major competitions, got some funding and just sort of haven't looked back, but for sure did a ton of reps, whether it was like in business competitions or with professors, you know, I was in university for eight years, so I uh, have a lot of classes behind me as well. And uh, I still am a data scientist in residence, actually, at the biggest university in Canada. So I, I still keep you one are busy and <laughs> busy. Yeah, but I love it. I love being connected to researchers like, you know, it's so great to have people that like push the bounds in terms of like academia, too. So I like to say I have the best of both worlds. I can like be with the academics and I can be with the tech people and I can be with the sports people. So. <laughs> and I love that you talk about when you were younger, you know, your position that you have now wasn't really something that you saw anyone doing. And that's something so important that I feel like Stormy and I hit on so often in this episode or this podcast, excuse me, is just that, you know, just you can look at somebody and say, hey, I want to be like them. But you can also go do your own thing, too, and you can create your dream job and when I was researching some stuff on you for this episode I saw you had this quote and I want to say it was the hockey news where you were asked if you ever wanted to be a general manager and you're like I don't want to be a general manager I want to own the team and I was like yes I <laughs> print that out for me put it up like you're like I'm not going to settle for for that like I want to own it and I'm just like I, I love that because it's just showing the you if you follow your passion and become an expert then you can the sky's going to be the limit yeah absolutely and i don't think there's like an age limit too on entrepreneurship like you know it ranges from 20 year olds to like 80 year olds when actually 40 year olds are some of the most successful entrepreneurs so people think that they're these like young 21 year olds but most people that have like really great businesses are in their 40s so uh, it's never too late for anyone that's listening you know it's a great time to start a company <laughs> And something that we, you know, we like to talk to women working in this industry and sometimes address topics of, hey, we're all kind of going through this. We might not always talk about this with each other, but something that we wanted to discuss with you is Stormy and I've talked about this offline is just how to embrace our femininity in this industry and being younger and sometimes saying, okay, I, I want to be taken seriously. So maybe I shouldn't wear so much makeup or maybe I shouldn't wear heels. And I, you know, you're somebody who you really seem to embrace. Like, yeah, I'm a woman. Like I'm going to do my hair and do my makeup and I'm going to embrace that. And you're going to take me seriously because I'm really good at what I do and that should lead. And it's something from the outside I really admire about you and wanted to bring up and just talk to you about that is how has that balance been for you? And when you were younger, did you ever go through that? Hey, maybe I should rethink the way I'm presenting myself because, you know, maybe if I wear too much makeup, they're not going to take me seriously. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, I don't even think men know when we're wearing makeup. Like sometimes <laughs> they're like, oh, she looks so great natural. I'm like, do you know how much makeup she has yeah. on? Do you know how much it costs to look this natural? <laughs> oh, yeah, like, like the Kardashian look, like they don't wear any makeup. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Like, do you know yeah. how much I'm putting on to look like I'm not wearing anything? <laughs> With that said, yeah, I mean, I was scouted when I was, I want to say 15, 16. Uh, I was actually going to a basketball game, an NBA game, and I got run down by an agent from Paris. And you know, my sister was a very, very good model. She left home at like 15, 16 with, with IMG in New York and was in Milan for a while. So um, I was the nerd of the, the family, the firstborn. So I had to overachieve and, you know, go to university right away and, and not miss a beat. But, you know, I really took a lot from fashion. And I think, 
it's a very interesting industry because it moves so fast. You know, the trends are so fast, just the aggressive nature of trying to get people to buy. I mean, there's a lot you can learn from it, both in business and in just selling, like sell, whether you're selling yourself, you know, your product, your broadcast, whatever it is, they're, they're very good at compelling you to like purchase what they're making and, you know, make you feel like whatever you were doing or thinking last season's not right. So, you know, I think it's like interesting. Uh, it's very creative. Um, and I like that. So I like marketing and branding too. So I really respect people that work in, in fashion as well. Um, and just the artistic side of it. So it's always been something of me that I don't think I should, you know, not include in, in who I am or in my life. I don't think, you know, any sort of hobby should be discarded from who you are. It's just sort of, you're, you're the, you're, you're yourself, right? It's no one's you. That's sort of your, your secret sauce. Um, so I think as a woman, it's, it's, yeah, it's always a challenge. It's always a challenge in business. I think completely. I mean, I think you have to read your crowd and like what you're, what you're doing and, you know, where, how you want to present yourself, what your brand is, but you know, there's a lot of like pushback. There was a really big paper that came out called like, uh, I mean, the hashtag was med bikini, but it was basically a group of men that wrote that their colleagues that were medical doctors shouldn't post uh, like vacation pictures in, in their bikinis. And then they pulled up them like with like Corona's and like shirtless, you know what I mean? It was like, so just like the double standards of like how men can act on social media or in life. And then like what women are supposed to act that are in business, you know, it's very stark and you know how you can start moving the conversation into like why we view women that way. And, and what, you know, that it shows more about the person that's, that's judging than the actual person that's, you know, with their family in a bikini on in Florida, let's say. Right. Well, and it's interesting to me because I feel like maybe not you specifically, but I've heard interviews of, of other women I respect that also just happen to be very beautiful, attractive women also that when it gets brought up in an interview, whether it's by a man or by someone else, that all of a sudden the subject gets like, oh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but right, like, right. that's always just like, I kind of cringe a little bit when I hear those things. And I'm just like, how is this a topic of conversation when that's not at all the direction that we were going? You know? Right. Right. Exactly. And I think it's, yeah, it is a tough subject because I think sometimes when it does come up, you know, you, you sort of just want to embrace it and be like, sure. It's a part of me. Like not everyone's going to like how I look either. Yeah. There's, there's been a few times in hockey where people will be like, Oh, she has terrible cheekbones. And I'm like, how can you pick me apart? Like I've had the worst agents in the world say all sorts of things about me. You know, you can't hurt me. <laughs> no, um, I I remember I did a football game one time and somebody was like, oh, if you got a nose job, maybe you'd get better assignments. Just like, oh, a and I was like, what? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was just like, talking about a quarterback, but that's where we're going with this. Like, it just doesn't crazy. make sense to me sometimes. But, but, you know, and that's what I, I just feel like the double standard in hockey broadcasting too. Like, not to say, I mean, they're sure there's like Patrick Sharps and people, but not many. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, we should not be judged on looks It's in an environment that men are not at all judged on looks. I think right. that's just, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in sports in general, that's kind of the unfortunate standard. And it's something that, you know, women should be able to embrace their womanhood and shouldn't shy away from that because they don't want to seem like, oh, I don't want to seem like I'm trying too hard. And, you know, like if it makes you feel good, yeah, <laughs> do I that. Think, you know, I'm at that age now where if you're authentic or yourself, I think that comes across to people. So I think the more comfortable you just are with what you do, what you wear, you just try to carry yourself with a manner that, you know, you're, you're proud of yourself. Right. And I think that that's important. I mean, I think people respect that, that matter. Um, and you're always going to have haters and doubters, but I will also say the one thing that I do respect in broadcasting, and I think is really an interesting, I don't want to say trend because it's not a trend, but that there are, you know, people like Linda Cohen, Christine Simpson that are only getting better with age, mm -hmm. you know, that it's not like, okay, now she's 35, 40, whatever the cutoff people like just guess in their head. And now she's off air. I think to see people that, you know, continue to be just exceptional. Um, and like age is, I mean, they're beautiful to in general, but just, you know, it just, as they develop, you know, their, their roles. And as they become that much better at their craft, I just think it's, you know, outstanding to see women last so much longer in the industry. 
That's something I think about all the time, because when I first started in broadcasting, I would joke at 23 or so, like I'm 28 now, when I was 23, I'd be like, oh, I'm already 40 in media years. I've got to get that next thing. Like that was very active in my mind because I thought that we prematurely aged. And so seeing women like Linda Cohn and like Christine Simpson, like you referenced and Doris Burke and Laura Oakum. Exactly. Yeah. Who yeah. just continue to progress in their field. Um, but one of, one of the questions that we want to make sure that we ask every single one of our guests that comes on here is we call it our rookie reminder. And it's just something that if you could go back and tell yourself before you really started this career path, any one thing, what would it be? What would you want to tell yourself? I think just enjoy the journey. You know, it gets back to like having ideas of where you should be or what you should be. And I think if you blow those up and just think, you know, I want to enjoy every single moment, every single career step. I mean, we're, we're all blessed. I know I'm blessed to be working in hockey. The National Hockey League is, you know, the best league to me in the world, the best sport in the world. Uh, I don't want to be any place else, but I'm so excited to see where my career is going to go in five years, 10 years, 20 years. So I'm enjoying every step, <laughs> every challenge, every win. Uh, it's just, you know, a blessing to be in, in such a great industry. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us. That is great advice. And we are enjoying watching your journey as well. So thank you for taking some time to join us. You are amazing and we appreciate you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that was a lot of fun, Alyssa. Megan is so smart and just so put together. And I'm so happy we were able to lock her down and talk. Yeah, she's she's amazing and something I'm glad we got to talk with uh, with her about toward the end there was just the whole image thing and, you know, femininity and embracing that, you know, that womanhood in yourself while still being taken seriously, because that's kind of what we want to do on this podcast is have those conversations that, you know, you might be having behind the scenes with your girlfriends, but bring them, bring them forward and say, you know, Hey, we're all kind of experiencing this in our industry. And just hearing her side of uh, how, you know, she's dealt with that has, was really enlightening and kind of nice to, to talk with her about. Yeah. Especially because she is somebody who's a public figure. She does have a big following on social media. She is influential to young girls and women who are looking at her stuff and she has to put up with a lot of things on the back end too. So I'm glad that she was so candid in having that conversation because I know oftentimes that can be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, but um, that she came with the approach she did, I really appreciate. She, after we talked to her, she posted a photo on her Twitter and I think her Instagram too, promoting um, the podcast, which is so kind of her. And one of the, some guy replied and was like, how about a smile? And she just replies, no. <laughs> and can I say, I love the picture she posted too, because it had her wearing socks and flip flops. Is that what you're doing and right I'm now? So sad. Oh, we were talking my about gosh. this. <laughs> the work from home COVID life. If you don't have our video side of this, I definitely just Luckily. like lifted my foot to my head to show my sock in my Nike sandals. Luckily, uh, this podcast is not video because we're both looking hot messes. <laughs> slides, slides are life. But now I guess to get into some of the, the Golden Knights talk, I mean, it has been a fun run for the VGK, a franchise record, nine straight wins now. And for that last game specifically on this run against Anaheim, it was a, a dig deep win, as Pete DeBoer said. You know, they were down to nine forwards. You got to think going into that game, there was already no Riley Smith, no Ryan Reeves or Keegan Colasar. Even some taxi squad guys have been dealing with injuries like Patrick Brown. And so they come into a game um, with fewer forwards than normal and in the game lose Tomas Nosek and Nick Waugh and still come out with such a dominant win, I think says a lot about the group. Yeah, it was dominant too. And if you were watching that and maybe not paying attention to the line, or to who was in and out, like you would have never thought they were only rolling nine forwards. That's how dominant the Golden Knights looked. And I mean, they're they're playing really good hockey right now. And it's it's fun to watch. And do you think that like is now a good time for them to be peaking? Do you think it's too early? Is it too close to playoffs or are the wins wins? To me, like now is the time when you want to be in this in this kind of like rolling stretch. And I'm hoping that they're able to continue it, especially given the game
games that they have coming up because they do still have to play St. Louis and Colorado and Minnesota. Minnesota. You know what I mean? (laughs) All of these teams are still in a position in the top of the West. And I like, though, that Pete said that's good for his team. He wants to be playing the harder teams going into playoffs to have his team feel more prepared. So if you are able to get wins in those games, it'll be that much more confident. Yeah, and that's something that I wanted to talk with you about was, I mean, now it's really a battle between the Golden Knights and the Avalanche for first place in the Honda West division. And that's something that the Avs do have an easier route to that because they're really, they have a pair of games against the Golden Knights, but then the rest of their opponents are San Jose and LA who are out of it, where the Golden Knights are facing all those bubble teams of teams that are fighting for their playoff spot. And, you know, it might be the Avs might have an easier stretch into getting that Honda West division title, but the Golden Knights might be better prepared for playoffs because of who they're facing. So it's kind of a, you know, like what's realistically you'd kind of rather be prepared for playoffs and not have yeah. not have a division <laughs> title than, you know, the vice versa of kind of playing against opponents who are maybe mentally checked out. It's like a pick your poison, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I think, you know, if any team has a choice, they're picking to win their division title. But at the same time, like Pete DeVore said, you want to be prepared and you want to be playing tough opponents going into playoffs and be playing your best hockey, which the Golden Knights seem to be doing right now. Which also for Colorado, though, puts that much more emphasis on the two games upcoming that they do have against the Golden Knights, right? So the first one coming up here on Wednesday, but it's been a pretty even split in that series. The Golden Knights 3-3 three and three against the Avs and the Avs 3-2-1. and one. Yeah, and every time the two teams have played, it's looked like a playoff game and it's had a playoff feel and the teams are, they're really evenly matched and their strengths are in different areas, but it really adds up to a really, entertaining hockey game and I, I'm curious Stormy do you think the Golden Knights have a bit of an advantage in those last two matchups being at home and now there are some fans back in the building you have a bit of that energy do you think that plays into you know the Golden Knights are great at home I think it does personally I, I think that that's a part of the Golden Knights game that even in a year where the building isn't full, we've still seen make a difference and we've still seen sway a crowd. And especially in a game where you know that there's that level of importance on it and how much that Golden Knights fans want the Golden Knights to beat that team, I think there will be that little extra edge. So if the Golden Knights are kind of maybe teetering on the edge of momentum in certain instances, I think that the crowd can push it over. How fun would that May 10th game be if that's a deciding game? It would. And that's honestly, it's so much what I hope that it is. I don't know. It gives you that playoff feel, like you said, going into the playoffs and got the potential to be a massive game. And all signs are pointing to it being that way. So I'm I'm pumped for it. Plus, um, this coming Wednesday's game, there's uh, an added bonus, too, for fans to be coming to games, right? Yes, Pride Night. So it's an NBC game. So as Dave Gosher likes to say, Stormy has the night off on Wednesday. Dave thinks I have the night off even when I'm working. Exactly. He's so rude. <laughs> I'm still going to be in my normal spot. I'll be down there watching and supporting the game from rinkside with my Pride t-shirt on. Yes, it's Pride Night. It's part of the NHL's You Can Play campaign, which is dedicated to ensuring equality and respect and safety for all athletes, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender and the players will be rapping there are six in rainbow tape with uh all those six going up to auction that evening so fans can visit you can play there's also some really really cool gear that's already for sale and a portion of those proceeds from that gear will be going to the lgbtq center of southern nevada so this is some of my favorite gear that we put out every season the the fun rainbow gear this year's stuff is really cool every year they just our design team just pulls out something awesome. So definitely go snag some if you don't have any yet. Yeah, I haven't you have seen it. I was gonna say I haven't seen the shirt for this year yet. It's I'm really looking cool. forward to getting it, but I know that every time I wear the one from last year with um, like the rainbow features across it, I always get compliments on Same. it. And so yeah, it's it's cool. It's definitely a fan favorite. It's, it's such a it's a great game for a great cause or a great activation, I should say, for a great cause. Um, so that the cool gear is just kind of an added 
added fun bonus, but um, all the proceeds go to an awesome, very worthy cause. So one of my favorite theme nights of the year. So, and that's against Colorado. So it's going to be good hockey yeah. too. Ooh, Just that look much at, more look fun. Look at the way we tied that all together. Smooth. So smooth. Yeah, it'll be a fun game. I'm excited for, for that series to... I mean, excited just honestly for this final stretch of games. It's crazy how quickly it's come. Like, I don't know about I you, know. but at the beginning of the year, I was looking at the schedule and thinking this is so daunting. I know it's only 56 games, but it, they're just coming night after night after night. And yeah, there were stretches where it's been really tough. But now that we're kind of in the home stretch, I'm like, I can't believe it's over. <laughs> and it's it makes our lives as employees of the team just so much easier when the team is playing like this. Like when you're in a nine game winning streak. I, I, will, I know that this... <laughs> this wasn't on our rundown to talk about, but I know... Something that's been talked about a lot recently, and particularly guys like Alec Martinez and like Alex Petrangelo, who have won Stanley Cups, have been asked about this, is, you know, what it takes for the makeup of a team to like get over that hump and actually win a Stanley Cup and a big part of that is the fact that the team likes each other is something mm-hmm. that we keep hearing so much is that yes you have the the things on the ice that have to come together but also the fact that this is a group that like they know how to if somebody needs you know a kick in the butt to give them a kick in the butt in a specific way and that they like to be around each other and crack jokes when the room needs levity and they're really good about those things and it's cool when you hear guys who been in that position who've been on groups that have reached the ultimate goal to say that they feel a similar thing with this team I think is pretty special yeah and it's really an element too that you can't really quantify and fans don't even really you know every everybody is publicly gonna say that the team gets along um in the locker room so it's a hard thing to you know really understand unless you're in it but just from our perspective where we're seeing it day in and day out like this it's real with this team and you could tell like you said they genuinely get along and uh who was it it was a post game I think it was Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson but they were I think you asked them what are you going to do with these few days off and they're like I don't know probably hang out with each other yeah exactly <laughs> and I was like man if I was stuck with you know 24 of my best friends for th- this many days straight I'd be like see ya <laughs> that's just them like they actually genuinely get along like they're hanging out there you know and they're <laughs> there's not many options when you're in the bubble either but <laughs> what made me think of that though was just the fact that like our job has been a little bit easier because the team has been winning, but it also has made our job easier that they get along as well as they do. And like when they're helping us produce content just because they're naturally having fun and just naturally enjoying each other. Yeah, it's a it's a good environment for everyone to to be in. And, you know, hopefully we're <laughs> in this mood in this environment for another what three months four months yeah jonathan marshy august nothing (laughs) short of the stanley cup is good enough according to marchy so (laughs) listen to the man that's the tube to have (laughs) uh do you want to get a social segment going get weird let's get weird um so charles this is a question about us and then there's another question about the team so we'll start with the ones about us charles tweeted at me saying what is your favorite sport as a spectator and do you guys play any sports okay um <laughs> who's who's coming to your house right now, Alyssa? <laughs> I um oh hi, that's my dog. This is 2021 um at its finest. Work from home life. I'm betting all of my money that it is an Amazon package. Yes! <sighs> it's a book. Oh, it's a little unexpected gift that had just arrived. So anyway, <laughs> off topic. Favorites, oh, obviously aside from hockey, that won't count. Um I really like college basketball it's hard to go to michigan state and not be a college basketball fan so love college basketball i also really enjoy watching track and field i'm a former runner so i love track and i guess that goes in the question of do you play any sports um i absolutely do not run anymore (laughs) it used to be my thing and now i just uh i do not but 
I was. Yeah, I, I loved it. And I think that was that was the problem. I don't run. I don't believe in it. <laughs> Do you play? I mean, what's a sport? nowadays do we work out yes yeah that's true i like to play bass like pick up basketball occasionally um but like back in the day yeah i played basketball and gymnastics i was also a competitive bowler <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i was and i was in that's, a father-daughter I, league mm, and i came in, are you serious i came in third in a nevada state competition <laughs> thank you very much Oh my goodness. I love bowling. I um, never knew this about you. Yeah. My claim to fame is the first time I beat my dad. I was 10 years old and I got a 211 and he got a 210. Um, but gymnastics also, my, my mom's a gymnastics coach, so I did that my whole life also. And that's probably one of my favorite sports to watch as a spectator also. Mm, like yeah. I'm not one of those people that just watches the Olympic year stuff. I'm very into college gymnastics and like, so that's yeah I oh. love their videos did you know that they're so with the the NIL with college athletes where they can use their name and likeness to benefit um financially on social that I saw something that the UCLA gymnastics team actually has their athletes are the most valuable out of wow. any college team because I, I'm sure everybody has seen their videos on Instagram. They're insane. They're so fun. Yeah, They're such talented incredible. athletes. And I thought that, yeah, that was the most valuable um, athletes on their personal socials, which is really cool. Cool. That's and awesome then, to hear. I love that. Yeah, super cool. Super little fun fact there for you. And then, and then football also. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big NFL girl. Yes, <laughs> we knew that. And then I, I saw this tweet and I couldn't find it after I read it. So I don't, I'm sorry. I don't remember who this is from, but they were asking, what do you think the hardest part of traveling is for the players? Is it staying in a hotel? Is it the actual travel part? And I feel like it's different for different people. I feel like if you have kids and a family, the hardest part is being away from your children. But at the same time, they're probably the ones who are benefiting from sleeping in their own hotel room the most. So I don't, what do you think? I don't know. I think I like the way that you put it though. It's very dependent on the individual because like some people just don't even like flying. So that could make you uncomfortable. Yes, shame but I think, <laughs> I think being cooped up in the hotel as much as you are is probably pretty yeah. tough. And answers this year are different than I would say in years past right. where when you're, you know, traveling, you can kind of get out of the hotel and see friends or see family or go do stuff in the city. So um, that this year, I would say that's that's the toughest part. And then the long road trips too, where you're playing in a different city every other game, the travel or every other day, the travel does kind of wear on you at that point. Just the, you know, you're sometimes getting into a city at two in the morning, waking up, practicing, going to bed, playing a game, doing it again for like 10 days sometimes. So And like never really settling into the room. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. always have to. Luckily the, the players can kind of do their laundry because the, our wonderful equipment staff is in charge of cleaning all their equipment gear and whatnot where, where Stormy and I are just wearing dirty jeans. I'm a slob kebab. Thanks for yes. telling everybody. Hey, anytime. No, so, but. <laughs> <laughs> We're so embarrassing. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Game Misconduct. Please rate, subscribe, comment, tell your friends. Um, we're having a lot of fun with this project and sharing stories of some amazing women and obviously the Golden Knights hockey side of things. So join us on this journey. Woo -woo. And if you're listening and you have topics you want us to cover, we want to talk about what you want to hear. So let us know. We'll see you next time on Game Misconduct. Game Misconduct.